with the eyes of the world firmly focused on Ukraine and Russia, this isn't really on the face of it uh, a question of Islam or, or Islamism. Uh, but Islamists are certainly discussing Russia. And it seems interesting for us, uh, especially within the counter-Islamist world, to ask, uh, what are they saying about Russia? Is it a clear-cut, homogenous view that one side is in the right and one side is in the wrong? I'm sorry about my dog in the background. Um, no, um, Islamist discourse over Russia, Islamist discourse over Ukraine is deeply divided uh, and curiously so. And a lot of it emerges from the history of the region and the history of Russia's involvement with Islamism. Um, old guard Islamists will remember Russia of the 80s, invading Afghanistan. They will remember Russia of the 90s, um, carrying out brutal acts of repression in Chechnya. Um, those paying attention in the last 10 years, even as recently as that, will remember Russia's alliance with the Assad regime and some of the brutal things that uh, Russia and Syrian forces have done to civilians uh, across Syria. Um, but again, there are those who think much more recently than that and see Russia not just as um, uh, a traditional ancient enemy of Muslims, but now as a crusading voice against the West, the same Western democratic ideas that many Islamists also oppose. So it is not a clear cut um, question within American Islam and within Western Islamism as a whole as to who is at fault. Now, certainly if, um, and as we have, if you take a large swathe of, um, uh, of, of Western Islamist opinion, you'll find plenty of anti-Russian and even pro-Ukrainian uh, rhetoric. But the ones that stand out are the leaders and the activists who ask us to take a slightly different view or, or, or attach caveats to their view of the situation. Um, take, for example, Tariq Ramadan, very prominent uh, French Islamist activist, um, uh, often considered the leading academic voice of, of Islamism in the West. Um, he and many uh, of his fellow Islamists have said, yes, of course, we oppose Russian oppression. But let us remember that President Zelensky is a Zionist. Let us remember he is a Jew. Let us remember he is someone who supports the state of Israel, and it's possible to be anti-Russian without being pro-Zelensky. Uh, indeed, Osama Abu Ishid, who works with American Muslims for Palestine, very prominent uh, Hamas link network in the United States, talk about talks about Western obsession with Ukraine and Russian aggression of, of, against Ukraine as being a, a clear example of Western hypocrisy, stating that you know why do we focus so much on this topic while ignoring the plight of the Palestinians. Why is uh, Israel's actions somehow justified, he asked, while well, Russian actions are considered terrorism and, and oppression. And quite a few Muslims have, and quite a few Islamists have, have, have copied this uh, uh, line of thought. Uh, Ahmed uh, Rehab, the head of um, uh, Akeb, uh, Care Chicago, uh, says, again, we support you against the Russian people's, uh, the, the Russian war. We support you against Putin's uh, cruel war, as he calls it. Um, but he says that as a Ukrainian, as a Jew, you're whitewashing Israeli crimes, you're whitewashing uh, Israeli treatment of the Palestinians. So there are these caveats being attached to um, uh, uh, support for Ukraine by some. But then there's a newer generation of Muslims who, as I say, mentioned at the beginning, have forgotten the sins of Russia in Chechnya, have apparently willing to overlook the sins of Russia in Syria. 
Um, one group documenting oppression against Muslims has hundreds of thousands of followers. It's a primarily online uh, organization, but hundreds of thousands of followers has taken an overtly hostile view to Ukraine, uh, citing Russian propaganda that uh, Ukraine is nothing more than a neo-Nazi state, publishing material online uh, showing Ukrainian fighters dipping bullets in pork fat to shoot at Muslim fighters, as they uh, so claim. Um, so why? Why are there these, um, these divisions? Why are there some Muslims who are even willing to, to support Ukraine? Another example, by the way, is Joram von uh, Van Clevere, who is actually a former Dutch far-right MP who converted to Islam, and indeed converted to Islamism. And he has taken a very, very anti-Ukraine view, frequently referring them, denouncing them as, as far-right Nazis, repeating Russian disinformation, uh, 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 propaganda, and so on, uh, without hesitation. So why? Why is there this newer generation of Islamists willing to, to push uh, the Putin line on Ukraine so, so willingly? Um, now, one answer is, of course, that, that Russia does have its own jihadist and Islamist proxies. Um, the Russian state of Chechnya, uh, run by Kadyrov, is an essentially a Sharia state within, within Russia. Uh, uh, and I'm sure many of you will have seen the footage of Chechen jihadists marching to Ukraine, bearded Chechen jihadists marching to Ukraine while crying and, and with video cry of them crying, Allahu Akbar. It, it stands out. The same Russia that was killing Muslims in, in Syria just years ago and, and wiping out uh, whole you know, sections of Chechnya now relies on Chechen jihadists to apparently do their bidding. And it seems that this has inspired some, at least some uh, Western Islamists. Um, so as I say, this is an extremely um, uh, uh, mixed question. And it tells us a great deal, uh, a non-Muslim issue like Ukraine and Russia, it tells us a great deal about Western Islamist politics, Western Islamist squabbles, the dissent that is, and that is driving the politics and the ideological trends of, of uh, uh, Western uh, Islamism as a whole. Um, there are a couple of other interesting examples. I mean, Turkey, for example, has been uh, pretty consistently anti-Russian for the last few months, at least, although it hedges its bets uh, uh, somewhat. And we're seeing its proxies do the same thing, pushing anti-Russian rhetoric, but being a little more careful than there is in its preference. The, the Hussam Ailush, for example, who is involved with the uh, CARE uh, California, um, a very prominent Islamist group, um, uh, he's very, he works very closely with the Turkish regime. He works very closely, uh, especially with the, the Turkish consulate in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and he, he writes now frequently on social media. He says that, yes, of course, we oppose Russia. We must oppose Russia. We must oppose the murder of innocent Ukrainians. But, he says, but, he says, let us also talk about the West's support or inaction uh, over Israel, over Kashmir, over uh, Syria, the brutal invader, uh, uh, US invasion of Iraq, he will cite, and, 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 and so on. So various Islamist networks are playing a, a careful game here, uh, a very careful game. Um, then there are the jihadists, the actual jihadists of the 90s, those who were radicalized by Chechnya, those who were radicalized uh, by footage smuggled out of Bosnia, of Chechnya, and even as far back as, as from Afghanistan as well. And, and they're saying something even more interesting. They're asking, why is it okay? Why is it okay that people across the Western world 
can go fight for Ukraine, join these volunteer arms, fight Russian troops. They're heroes, and apparently, in the style of, 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 of the manner of those who went to fought to fight the fascists in the Spanish Civil War. But when we're talking about jihadists going to Syria, when we're talking about young Western Muslims, thousands of them running off to fight for groups in Syria opposing Assad, why suddenly are these no longer heroes, but these are terrorists, these are extremists? And we've seen quite a few uh, Islamists ask this question to great applause and, and consternation and comment from a whole variety of Western Islamists who, who follow their work. One particular example of this is Mozambique. Now, Mozambique is a former Guantanamo Bay inmate. Um, he was working with the Taliban. He was, I believe, radicalized over issues such as Chechnya. And he's a very important part of the sort of the lawful Salafi jihadist uh, movement in the United States uh, these days. And Mozambique asks exactly this question. He says, well, how is it fair that we criminalize, we arrest young Muslims going to fight for Jabhat al-Nusra, for other uh, uh, terrorist and militant groups in Syria? But yes, we, the British government encourages uh, uh, people to go, to go fight for the Ukraine, as has other uh, European states as well. Now, of course, there's a clear uh, flaw in this, uh, uh, this, this equivalence he's trying to, to, to produce. But nonetheless, it has struck a chord with a lot of young Muslims, with a lot of young Islamists. So yes, as I said at the beginning, this uh conflict has revealed something about western islamism it has revealed once again that it is not ideologically monolithic that, it, that, that there, e there isn't even a clear uh I political idea when it comes to to big geopolitical questions there isn't a clear uh agreement over which side is in the right and wrong uh certainly some islamists are playing the long game they're thinking how can we best use the the tactics applies, applied to placing pressure on Russia, as well as the public outrage over the conflict. How can we bring this to bear on the question of, of the Palestinians, on the question of the Kashmiris and of other uh, Islamist causes? And we're already seeing those conversations happen openly, even being discussed by Islamist groups, by Islamist activists as well. But it does tell us then that there's disagreement. It tells us that there's uh, developing thought as to as to what this all means for the, for the Muslim world. Um, there's one other very interesting division that's worth mentioning, and that is the far left. Traditionally, Islamists have relied on the far left in the West as key allies in their, in their fight to advance Islamism, uh, often embracing progressivist and even sort of Stalinist or Trotskyist rhetoric um, uh, uh, in their own Islamist uh, activism as, as well. Um, but a lot of the far left has been deeply uh, uh, apologetic of Putin and his efforts. This might be due to Russian funding working its way into far left circles in the West, or it might just be due to the habit of the far left to support anything that opposes NATO or opposes uh, 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 the United States. Um, but either way, we're starting to see divisions between the far left and the Islamists over the question of uh, Ukraine. And that's kind of fascinating, is it not, that the Islamists will happily pretend to support LGBT rights to keep their far left allies happy, but for some reason Putin is, is a step too far. Um, so in other words, they'll, they'll sacrifice Islamic principles such as, or at least Sharia principles such as opposition to homosexuality in order for political power now by aligning with the far left. Uh, but for some reason, these bigger geopolitical questions expose the divisions and do drive them apart, do show these alliances to be nothing more than a facade, a, a sham to advance people's interests. So this reveals uh, a huge amount. Now, everyone I've spoken about so far has been with Sunnis. Um, and there are, of course, significant numbers of Shia Islamists in the West as well. 
and Shia Islamism's alliance with uh, or, or, or relationship to Russia is a, is a little more interesting. Uh, Russia, of course, is, has, has been closely aligned over the years with Iran, especially with regards to its work in Syria. And as a result, um, uh, Islamist Shia networks and proxies in the West have been rather, uh, if not pro-Putin, then apologists for, for Putin. And so we see this with particular clerics linked to the Iranian regime, linked to Lebanese Shia Islamism as well, uh, advancing Russian conspiracy theories about bio labs in Ukraine and about NATO uh, conspiring to force Russia into conflict, all this kind of thing. Uh, we're seeing that in Western Shia Islamist circles. Um, uh, we're also seeing um, groups accused of serving the Iranian regime's interests take interestingly uh, soft views on Putin. For example, the Quincy Institute, um, uh, linked very closely to uh, the National uh, uh, Iranian American Council, uh, widely considered to, to, at least to some extent, to advance the Iranian regime's interests in DC. The Quincy Institute has been pushing uh, rhetoric rather friendly to the Putin line of thought for the last few months. And the Quincy Institute does rather well for itself in that it manages to legitimize itself by working with very prominent former statesmen and diplomats and, and academics and so on. Um, so uh, under the sheen of academic and, 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 and statesmanship legitimacy, um, the Quincy Institute is advancing, yes, a, a, not entirely uh, a view not entirely unfriendly to Russia, uh, alongside a sadist and other uh, 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 sort of uh, radical ideas as, as well. Um, so this is a deeply complicated question. Um, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, it exposes that the politics of Western Islamism remain as convoluted as ever. Uh, and understanding, especially as this, this, this conflict in Ukraine continues, understanding the effect on American Islamism, seeing whether it continues to drive certain groups apart, uh, force them into alliances with various non-Muslim movements, perhaps away from their traditional far-left allies and, and maybe more towards other uh, non-Muslim groups instead. All of this, I think, will become more apparent over the, the next few uh, months. Uh, for the moment, we're having trouble keeping a track, a track of the flow of commentary about Ukraine and Russia that is appearing across the thousands of Islamist social media accounts we follow on a very regular basis. Um, uh, but for the moment, we know it's convoluted and complicated and contradictory enough to know that there is no consensus and there is unlikely to be uh, in the future. The only thing we can predict with regards to Islamist sentiment about this conflict is by following the views of uh, the Islamist states, the Islamist regimes that so many Western Islamists seek to, to align themselves with. So the views of Turkey, the views of Pakistan, the views of Qatar uh, and, and, and so on. But as I say, this is a deeply complicated subject. Um, and it shows once again that uh, the world may have uh, seemed to have moved on from the Islamist threat of, of, of the, the post 9-11 era, but Islamism still remains very much part of the conversation as soon as you dig a little bit below the surface. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so we have a couple of questions here. Uh, first one is, are we likely to see a ret return to the old days of jihadists attempting to recruit Western Muslims to fight the Russians? I think not. I think not. I mentioned the Chechen jihadists fighting on behalf of the Russians. That already complicates this question. 
But then we also have Muslims fighting for the Ukrainians as well. There are, uh, Ukraine has a long and proud sort of Muslim population who are, as far as I can tell, for the most part, deeply patriotic. No, there are Muslims on both sides. This isn't as clear cut, as I mentioned, as the Russian oppression of, of Chechnya, um, uh, of Chechens and of, of, of other Muslims over the years. Uh, I don't think we will. I think if we do see Western uh, Islamist intervention or foreign state Islamist intervention, it will be in the form of finances or political pressure, uh, diplomatic pressure and so on. Thank you. So to expand on the Chechen issue there, uh, how can the Chechens forget so quickly their own history with Russia and now the Chechen jihadis are, are doing Russian bidding? I think that the politics of Chechen, especially of Kadyrov, you know, Putin's Islamist puppet, are deeply complicated. Yes, he's an Islamist. He's instituted and implemented Sharia law within Chechnya. But at the same time, he's also, he lives quite nicely. He, he's quite comfortable in his palaces and his, he's famous for wearing quite expensive luxury. He's a dictator. Um, so maybe it's wrong to think of them as Islamists in the traditional sense. These are authoritarians using Islam as, as, as a tool uh, to control their state of, of, of of Chechnya. It is fascinating uh, to watch these Islamist militia, these Islamist troops, um, bearded, uh, crying uh, radical slogans, all while waving both the, the symbols of Islam, but also flags of Putin's face. You know, it's, it's, it's a bizarre, contradictory uh, sight to see. And Kajuov has never been able to really recruit much support from the rest of the Sunni Islamist world for this, this, this approach. So he's, he's a divisive figure. And um, I'm not sure Chechens have forgotten the Russian treatment of them. I think they were given no other choice but to, to get along. That is a fair point. Um, so at the end there, you were, you were uh, talking about following the Islamist regimes such as uh, Turkey, Qatar, and uh, Pakistan. Mm -hmm. uh, could you elaborate a little more on that, on, on which each country, uh, viewers so uh, turkey obviously has a um a quite complicated history of russia especially over the last few years but it's been increasingly antagonistic in in over the last year or so um and turkey has taken uh, the nato view for the most part and interestingly turkey's proxies in the west have taken the nato view as well and in fact i, I often we often see them uh american turkish groups literally reprinting nato press releases about about russia so uh turkey is sticking to the line uh, however, um, there are some caveats, as I say, these, these Turkish proxies in the West continue to regard this as an opportunity to also turn attention on the Palestinians and how they regard the Israeli, as I mentioned before. Uh, so the Turkish, the Turkish uh, situation, I think, is, is one of opportunism. They're worried about Russia, especially the expansion on the, uh, above the Black Sea and so on uh, of, of, of the Russian Empire. But uh, they also, I think, see this as an opportunity. Pakistan is much more interesting. Imran Khan, the Pakistani leader, visited Moscow, visited Putin, I think on the first day of the war, um, uh, to, leading, you know, to much coverage around the world. It was quite shocking to see this leader arrive. I think he said, what an exciting time it is to be here or something as Russian troops and planes were advancing into, into Ukraine. So um, uh, yeah, uh, Pakistan immediately aligned itself with Russia. Interestingly, India, Pakistan's foe, has also been pretty soft on, on Russia on this question, leading to some criticism from, from, from the West. Um, it's possible Pakistan is competing with India for Russia's uh, patronage, for its weapons, for its, its, its gas. Um, uh, I'm, not entirely, I'm not entirely sure. Either way, Pakistan 
which is busy at the moment trying to re-Islamize itself, trying to push Islam into every position of leadership and public uh, uh, institution, uh, regards Russia as key to its interests. Um, it's maybe, as I say, because it was regarded as a useful ally against uh, India, especially if, you know, cahoots with China, um, or it may be because uh, Pakistan uh, has decided to turn against the West, no longer attempt to exploit uh, Western alliances and just now sees itself very much as part of this new Eastern bloc. Uh, so whether this is an Islamist reasoning or a geopolitical one, I think remains unclear. Finally, Qatar, uh, very important Islamist patron, was just named by the Biden administration as a major non-NATO ally. Uh, so Qatar is going along with what the West wants. It sees this as a very useful chance. Now, the other point to mention about Qatar is, that, of course, they were funding a lot of um, uh, militant and terrorist groups that were fighting Russian troops in Syria. So there is a genuine antagonism from, from Qatar as well. And what's more, um, uh, uh, Qatar um, um, also, uh, as well, so aside from funding terrorist groups in, in Syria, it's, its media, especially Al Jazeera and its other its proxies in the West, have been going after Russian Islamophobia for many years. So it's clear there are deeper held uh, problems within, within Qatari, the Qatari narrative about Russia uh, as well. Thank you so much. And to follow up on that, uh, you mentioned the Pakistani leader Imran Khan uh, visited Putin on the first day of the war. What do Western Islamists make of this? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting one. So Khan is, is regarded with increasing admiration by uh, Western Islamists. And so, uh, especially of Khan's more direct proxies, there's a ton of them in Houston uh, and uh, as well in the New York area as well. Um, uh, they regarded this with some confusion initially, uh, because, you know, their instinct was to oppose Ru the Russia revolt, the Russia that kills Chechens and invades Afghanistan. Um, but increasingly, they're uh, kowtowing and adhering to what people like Imran Khan say. So if Imran Khan says the West has turned against Pakistan, Russia is our new friend, our new ally, then yeah, we're seeing increasing number of Pakistani proxies, Islamist proxies here in the US and across um, Europe, uh, beginning to adopt that line of thinking as well. Thank you. And you were touching on uh, Russia and, and Iran and, and what the Shia Islamists in the West say about the war uh, already, but do you think that Iran would ever send any fighters to Russia to, to help out with their invasion? We've certainly seen, um, haven't we? there's certainly been reports of Shia militia volunteering to fight uh, in Ukraine, as well as Sunni uh, Syrians volunteering to fight Russia in Ukraine as well. So maybe, maybe. Um, Iran has practice at recruiting volunteers from around the world to fight its wars. Uh, and it's something undoubtedly that Russia must have looked to, especially the way that Iran operated that, that effort in, in, in Syria. For example, I mean, a lot of Pakistani Shia, for example, went to Syria on behalf of Iran to fight. Uh, during the Syrian civil war. Russia noticed this, Russia worked with these, these, these volunteer armies. It seems highly possible that Russia would encourage and would request uh, such volunteers uh, from, the Russian uh, from the Iranian contingent as well. I think it's very interesting to watch if this war continues to drag on. Uh, yes, I think it'll be very interesting to see if we start to get Islamist militia on, on either side. Well, it is, it, it is a bit interesting. Uh... So you mentioned that why is it okay for Westerner, that Westerners can come and join the Ukrainians to go and fight, but uh, jihadis joining uh, against Assad was terrorism. Uh, what would happen if uh, 
Ismus joined the Ukraine to fight. Would, would we call that terrorism? Well, we wouldn't, but this is precisely why the Islamists get it so wrong, is that what they're failing to distinguish between, between joining a terror group that murders civilians, as opposed to joining an international volunteer force trying to protect civilians. Uh, and this, of course, is the huge flaw in the jihadist uh, thinking. And um, I've seen a few examples already, actually, of Western Muslims joining these, these volunteer, international volunteer uh, groups for, for the Ukrainians. Um, so uh, yes, no, it's it's a preposterous argument on behalf of the Islamists, but as I say, it's getting a lot of traction with young Muslims who regard this as yet further evidence of the, the West's hypocrisy. All right, so we have been seeing the comparison of Russia and the Ukraine and uh, Israel and the Palestinians in the news lately. Can you expand a bit more on that? You did touch on it already. Yeah, well, aside from the idea, as the Islamists put it, put forward, that that somehow uh, the Ukrainians are the Palestinians and the Russians are Israel, and this is yet another example of oppression. But in this case, the West is willing to act, whereas with Israel, it's not. Aside from that, as I say, the other point is that actually uh, some Islamists see uh, uh, this to be untrue because they look at Zelensky as a Jew, they look at Zelensky praising Israel and working with Israel. Uh, and it's complicated. <laughs> this, 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 this model obviously doesn't work. And again, it's one of the reasons we're seeing dissent within Islamist circles uh, about it. But as I said, we have seen plenty of conversations now of Western Islamists discussing how to take the tactics um, of international pressure, of media pressure, of uh, activism around this conflict, and now apply it to the question of Israel, apply it to the question of Kashmir, and uh, so on. The war crimes mentions are getting people, especially in the Islamist and the far left scenes, very excited. They think they can expand this. Um, the, uh, uh, the sort of the images of, of rockets striking Ukrainian cities are quickly being uh, juxtaposed with images of Israeli rockets striking Hamas positions in, in the Gaza Strip and so on. So no, the Islamists will exploit this conflict. They will use it and I'm sure to great effect. Um, uh, I imagine it will become difficult for Israel uh, in future months and future years to avoid the comparison uh, with the Islamists, making sure to uh, use the same images that side by side uh, over time. No, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of that, and I, I'm, I'm I'm certain that this will now be a long-standing problem. If this violence in Israel continues following the most recent stabbings and shootings, um, we're already seeing some some comparisons to, to Ukraine mentioned in Islamist media already on, on that. So this may come sooner uh, than we expect. Hmm. Now, is this, is this, oh, sorry. Uh, is this comparison something that Israel would need to uh, publicly address, do you think? Well, Israel has its own problems with Ukraine given uh, the criticisms of, of uh, its perceived inaction or, 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 or failure to hold Russia to account and so on. No, I, I think this is firmly, this is being discussed firmly and strongly within Israel. And uh, yes, I, I think when it comes to the, the fallouts and then the use of, of the same propaganda to, to, to attack Israel, I'm sure that the Israelis will develop their own strategies to, to, to deal with this. This is, a, this is a new era. This is a new phase. Um, who knows what's going to happen uh, next? The Islamists certainly don't uh, know what's going to happen next. And I suspect the Israelis uh, don't either. But either way, we'll see uh, new tactics, new rhetoric, uh, new methods. Um, uh, here at the Middle East Forum, we'll, we'll track how the Islamists are doing it, we'll track what they're saying, we'll track what they're thinking, and we'll try and explain this to people as, as best we can. 
Thank you. And do you see the any major voice coming out on um, for Muslims and and unifying them and in, in their thoughts on on Russia and Ukraine? Turkey would be the obvious place for this to happen. Uh, the huge problem for Turkey right now is that it's just arguably through economic pressure and uh, necessity, it's just sought detente with Israel by inviting uh, the Israeli president, Isaac Herzog, to visit Ankara. This has made quite a few Islamists quite unhappy uh, that Turkey is, who, which, who is the great resistor of normalization with Israel, is now embracing. So whether Islamists will continue to trust Turkey as a leader on questions like Ukraine, on questions like Russia, uh, that's unclear. Um, uh, but yes, if Erdogan is to, if, if he holds on to his title as sort of the new leader of the Muslim world, then yes, I would imagine that Islamists look to Turkey to, to lead the way on, on the Muslim world's relations with Russia. I'll say one more time though, Islamism is complicated. The Islamist politics, the politics of Islamism is complicated. I wouldn't expect any kind of homogenous view to ultimately uh, triumph. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've reached the end of our webinar. Thank you, Sam, for taking time to join us today.